0: All right, we'll let you start.
1: <laughs> what up what up what up welcome back to another episode of cultivated ignorance i am will the host i am like the favorite host lies um this week we are joined by the wonderful uh creative um dope intelligent adjective 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 <laughs> all the adjectives <laughs> uh preston anderson how you doing today brother i'm
2: doing well and i'm really glad to be able to have this opportunity to talk to y'all because um you know, I've been following y'all show. We've been supposed to hook up. So I'm glad that we are able to do this now. And um yeah, just really, really, really looking forward to this conversation. Appreciate it. Cool. And uh yeah, man,
1: this conversation just basically came out, um came up <laughs> because uh, you know, there was Isaiah Rashad video came out. Um and we just wanted to talk about it, you know, somebody who I guess, has experience with the whole coming out process or outed, whatever. I um, feel like this is a really bad intro, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're good, <man. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, when that happened, uh, you shared an amazing post on Facebook. Um, kind of, uh, you know, explaining the problems of the the coming out and the, you know, all that stuff. So uh, we're going to get into that today. Um, cool. But first, but first and always, we broke. broke As board. Mike knows, and hopefully, you know, at this point, we broke.
0: <laughs> if you've been following the show, we say at the beginning of every episode, we broke. Every episode. We get a new kid every episode, too. So now we have 15 kids each, I believe. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, If
1: y'all have $5, you know, to burn, because I know y'all just got y'all tax money. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Go ahead and head over to uh, (laughs) www.patreon.com slash cultivatedignorance. Um, We are doing our Euphoria reviews on there currently. We are. Um, It's Lit Sauce. Um, Brew is a hot mess. Hot fucking mess. If y'all don't know. Um, But yeah, we're doing... That's our current um, little hot shit on there right now. So, www.patreon.com patreon.com slash cultivated ignorance get all our exclusive videos and yeah let's get into the show okay. awesome. so brother preston tell us a little bit about yourself and uh what you got going on cool.
2: so um yeah i'm kind of right now in the midst of a lot of different things um i have a company that i uh, that i'm i do i help people small companies uh, especially visionary companies with branding identity that's here in ico but I would say that my, my my love right now, like my passion, um, the, what I'm really trying to work on developing is uh, Voodoo Monkey Foot. And for me, <laughs> Voodoo Monkey Foot is a project that has, it's probably, no, not probably, I know for a fact it's over a decade uh, <laughs> years old. And um, <laughs> it started off, honestly, as escaped. <laughs> <Lord>. <laughs> And this is like right, fresh out of Morehouse. And I was very much into like, you know, oh, the black men and luxury things and so on and so forth. Right. And so then I was like, yeah, but everybody has an estate, so on and so forth, as I was doing my little searches. And so then it became Voodoo Monkey Foot, which I named after um, a particular sketch by my favorite comedian, who is Richard Pryor. Um, and from there, as my, as my aspirations changed, as my, uh, as my politics changed, as a lot of what I was understanding and, and undergoing changed, so did Voodoo Monkeyfoot. And so now for me, what it is, it is an opportunity to build sort of like, I guess you might say like a prototypical kind of uh, community that is based in the black imagination so a lot of what I want to do is take a lot of what we call this very high, high, high esoteric theory, the stuff that's way out there that a lot of people say they can't understand or that is inaccessible. Um, and I want to bring it to everybody through critiquing, through talking about, but also imagining things from a Black perspective through the media that we're already consuming. Yeah. So um, you know, I did a video on Blue Marvel and the limits of the Black imagination within the comic book arena. Oh, um, right. um, I've done a video on zombies and what it, you know, and talking a little bit about the the concept of social death, but also um, what it might look like for us to embrace you know, uh, being, quote unquote, the monstrous. Um, I did one on mumble rap, you know, where I basically talked about like unintelligibility as a tool, right? Like people like, I can't understand what they're saying. I'm like, sometimes certain people shouldn't be able to understand what we're saying, right? <laughs> That's so not- yeah. this, you know, so like for me, it's kind of like taking these things that we are already engaged with all the time and then like completely breaking them up, but in a very black way and saying, what can Black people imagine out of this? And I want to have more conversation, so on and so forth, so that we can actualize these things. Because I mean, like, theory is awesome, but as a friend of mine said, it's nothing but speculative fiction until someone puts it to practice.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And I love your platform because I feel like it combines, I don't know if you agree, I know you identify as an Afro-pessimist, but I don't know if you identify as an Afro-futurist as well, I feel like it's both of those things in the truest sense. of
2: It's got to be, though, right? Like, I will say this. Like, the only thing that keeps me from becoming a nihilist <laughs> is the idea that, or the fact, I will say the faith that I have in, in Blackness to move us toward something else or move us towards at least the end of all this here. Um, And so like, I really believe, and I think uh, Jared Sexton wrote an essay kind of like in this vein where he really said that like Afro-pessimism is really calling us to really kind of exact the far reaches and the, the absolute, limits and go beyond the limits of our very very black imaginations and yeah. i think that's that's what keeps me pulled that's what keeps me a pessimist instead of an nihilist <laughs> that's what that's what keeps me imagining it keeps me trying to go forward with these projects uh,
1: real quick and we're going to dive into the topic i think um while these ideas are great you you hit the nail on the head like it's just more so speculative fiction until it somewhat catches on, until you can get the crowd to believe in the idea as well. So for you mm-hmm. and Voodoo Monkey Foot, how do you, while while you do, you know, put this media out and everything, how do you see it getting to the world? How do you see the world grasping a hold of these ideas?
2: So part of what I've been working on is, um developing a way for me to not only put media out there but also for me to build conversational spaces, um garner actual space. Because the fact of the matter is this. You know, I love the way Frank Wilderson always answers this answers this question. He'll, like when you say like what makes you if you're afro pessimist what makes you happy he's like if I told you what make me happy uh <laughs> defeat the whole purpose. It would ha- you know it it would scare you. Right, And I think that so I want to be able to build build actual space, um, to garner actual space to um, bring more people who are want, who are willing to learn um, in practices of study and practices of thinking and and um, imagining and um, building networks that are coming out of people who are imagining together, who are willing to share not only, in the process of of imagination, but also resources and garnering resources and stuff like that. And so really it's right now, um, that's what it is. Eventually it will also become um, a studio where I will be producing um, various kinds of content that black people, I think not only need to see, but I think it's really what we want to see. I mean, because like, let's be honest, we're, we're always, we're almost always disappointed by certain things, like Mm -hmm. the redemptive narrative art. (laughs) like, we've got to redeem ourselves Mm. and everybody else again. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I think that, you know, like, a lot of times the things that we want to see, you know, I, I think about underground all the time, right? Mm-hmm. and this goes to show you the limit of the limit of black money as power because you know black people overwhelmingly said hey somebody rescued this series we want this we want to see this because it was speaking directly to us like we were like yo like these are people who were trying to get free and they're doing it of their own volition of their own brilliance and not even oprah and tyler perry were like we can do it. They were like, oh, so <laughs> we're gonna step away from this one. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, what does it mean when Oprah and Tyler Perry, two of the most powerful black people in <laughs> in Hollywood basically say like, we don't think we can make this work.
0: That's what I'm saying. That's why you can't stop at representation. Like you can't look at the representation as a stopping point, like a lot of, a lot of us end up doing. And I get why that happens. So I feel like we feel like we have so little he- heroes we have so little like pivotal uh, voices to point to as like in terms of guiding you know guidance um, sensibility um just actual true community like I feel like we feel like it's so scarce for us for us that we just take you know Jay-Z working with the NFL as like oh thank God and then like wow he's gentrifying. <laughs> <laughs> i ain't know what jay-z was out here i'm not i wouldn't be surprised i ain't know about all that it's like,
2: it, it's it's absolutely wild and i absolutely and i personally think that representation is dangerous i think it breaks down the way that we that we that we build kinship
0: you know i did see a post on that i, I would love to bring you yeah. back for another discussion on that because i don't know if i completely agree but i feel you coming from but definitely definitely you yeah, for sure yeah yeah so anyway yeah glad to have you on the show And as well as all the wonderful things you do, both on Voodoo Monkey Foot, as well as your general social media, you always post stuff to make me just sit back and just think for a minute. Like, what I love about your thoughts, especially on Voodoo Monkey Foot, is like, I don't have an instant reply to your questions that you asked at the end. Like, I literally have to sit and be like, I don't know. (laughs) Like... The question you asked at the end would... of Black Zombie. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. What you say? Yeah, and that's what I
2: want, right? It'd be yeah. like, I, I want I want people not only to pause, but I also want people to come at me with more questions. Like, push me. That's, like, that's the thing. Push me because we're all in this imaginative project together.
0: That's it. That's the whole point of this podcast as well. So we truly appreciate you coming on. Um, but yeah, man. I guess we can jump into the topic of the day.
2: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Or, um, do you want to kick it off? You want me to kick it off, Will? No, I mean, you go ahead. Go ahead um So yeah, man. if guess you've been well. I was obviously under rock because I didn't know about it until Will brought it to my attention. But um Isaiah Rashad, if you're familiar, <laughs> e artist, um, one of my favorite artists. Will we used to be one of Will's favorite artists, but I guess he kind of he don't yeah. like what stuff he's been putting out yeah, lately. I guess. Yeah, at, the,
1: at the Sylvia demo, I was like,
0: whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I see you, but um yeah, Sylvia demo came out was fucking fire. Um. Person, I don't know if you're a fan of Isaiah like we are. I just found out about this brother's son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to go to hit the archives, my friend.
2: Um, you know it.
0: You know, it was one of the best um, hip-hop albums to come out in the last few years. Um, but then, you know, he had issues. He had a addiction issues with addiction. Um, you could definitely see it in The Sun's tirade, where it just seemed like he just, he was talking about it, but he wasn't really getting into in depth with it. Um, mm-hmm. and you can tell his music was just shifted like it just seemed very unfocused in a lot of ways um, very fluid also in a lot of good ways And um, but you can just tell he was going through it and the next thing you know he goes to rehab he disappears for a while no one hears from him and um, he pops back up like he's sober now and stuff he's, he did a whole interview with Fader about it his whole issues with depression and you know reaching so much um, height um, so much fame with Sylvia Demo and The Sun's Tirade how much pressure that I put on him and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, he went through <laughs> it. So um, he made a comeback. You know, he made a new album. I think it's a pretty good album. Um, he's been kind of doing his thing. And then lo and behold, uh, somebody leaks a sex tape of him. Uh, Give him some of the, somebody the gawk gawk. It leaks out. And um, I didn't hear about, because I, I have my notification stuff turned off anyway, but like, I didn't hear about it till Will told me about it. But when I looked into it, it seems like everybody's reaction was either like, okay, well, he's gay now. So, Either I can't fuck with him no more because I'm homophobic or like who cares about his identity? <laughs> you, know you know, the two extremes of, you know, either I got to act like white people, I got I don't see color no more or I can't <laughs> fuck with him no more. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and Preston had wrote a very thoughtful um, status about it. And I was just kind of wondering if you wanted to elaborate on that and as well as we can just give like, and will you as well, like your general thoughts on you know, how people are reacting to this whole thing.
2: So when I when okay like one I remember there being like a series of leaks. Yeah, it was, was. It was like oh, was, little, little. And film. I was oh. right. It almost felt like celebrities and and like and they things was just in your like it's in your face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, um, one I think that like you now granted you know like. Some of these leaks, um, of course, I think they, they're really just like <laughs> the pilot episode for <laughs> Only Fans Page, right? But um, when it comes to this particular kind of leak, um, I always feel that it is such a transgression just because <clears throat> regardless of the scenario, regardless of um, how a person feels about the individual um we should be able to have private lives right like you know like we should be able to in, in in some kind of way say that we are available to people in these specific ways and not in these right and so when it comes to celebrities so often we are able to take their and and we're able to take their personal lives and private lives and push them into the public, um, all for the purposes of consumption. Um, And so we are constantly looking at how it is that we are metaphorically, I guess you say, eating these people, like Mm -hmm. getting something from the fact that this has been leaked. and so whether it's a situation where people are just like, I feel like now I am morally superior to this person who is wealthier than me, has more influence than me, or whatever, we're using them. You know, We are consuming them in order to somehow boost ourselves. So there's that aspect of it. Um, but then I was really disturbed on how it is that we come to speak for people. Um, you know, at this point, homophobia, like, I mean, it's out here. <laughs> a lot of us who are, who are queer, who identify as such. The talk is not actually a lot of times what we even care about. I mean, like. Calling me a faggot, like it might piss me off I might be unmoved, but like, that's not going to do anything to me and I don't touch me. And so like, that's not oftentimes the part that we're actually like really, or at least I'll say for myself that, you know, a lot of people are very much like disturbed about. But I think that a lot of times what happens is the part that was getting me was the immediate kind of identifying this man, right? Oh, he's gay. And until a person says who or what they are, We don't know that, you know, like we don't, we don't know what, how we don't know how it is that they are really thinking about themselves. Uh, We don't know how it is that they're thinking about that particular situation. Um, There's just so much behind that, that we don't know. And for me, what it immediately makes me think about is how little room black men especially have to, to explore, to experiment, because it's almost looked at as, as soon as you step outside of some very specific parameters for how we view Black masculinity, black manhood, you have always and forever failed black manhood. You have always and forever failed black masculinity. And now, because we have all seen this thing, we can all work together to oust you from any sort of semblance of black manhood, black masculinity forever. Mm. And so then we wonder why people are, quote, unquote, DL, right? But it's just like, if I decide to try this thing or if I decided to engage this way with a homie or with a random person or whatever, then if I get caught, so it's kind of like feeling... Like, it's it's almost like... i'm committing something criminal even within the community just by trying something just by experimenting um <clears throat> honestly just by doing something privately cuz in so many ways like nobody is owed disclosure right <laughs> like Nobody is owed that like I don't have to nobody should have to say hey guys everybody guess what I do with my genitals. (laughs) All right, So you know it's just this kind of way of. um, Creating a sort of enclosure. And. I mean, it's just really, it's, it's its really a way that the community uh, itself, because like, when I'm talking about us, I'm only talking about Black people, right? Like, everybody else got a cage for us, you know what I'm saying? But what I'm thinking about is how it is that how we create cages around each other that keep us performing in very toxic ways, that keep us from being able to express some of the things that we need to express. And this is what causes the sort of reproduction of pathology within the community
0: so i love that you say that and i love because one of the thinking key things you said in the status is um a lot of us as uh, heterosexual people say we want our celebrity faves to come out as queer or whatever because so they can (laughs) live their full truth and everything and one thing you said is they don't we don't so much want that as want them to be i guess Pinpoint it so we can surveil them, so we can know who's gay and who's not. And when I first read it, I was like, I don't feel like I do that. But like, then I started thinking about the circles that I frequent, and I think about how many conversations come up of on black male, mas- um, black male sexuality. How many like, if a dude gets pegged by a woman, is he gay? Conversations that happen all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> how many? Um, is it gay to do da da da, is it gay to da da da. Um, I remember Mango Lemonade
2: came up in one of them. And I was like,
0: dude, like constantly, like
2: this
0: is constantly like like, who's gay, like who's going to answer this question in a way that they might be gay (laughs) or sus or whatever the fuck. And like it's an obsession. And for me, I guess for me, like it's for me, people like me, I don't know if Will could um, relate to this, like, I find it interesting to know about your sexuality, because I love talking about sexuality. So, like, I'll have those conversations to, like, learn how you get down in the bedroom, because I love, like, I just love talking about sex. But I know, like, I know like, so many people I'm talking to, they're trying to pinpoint, like, who is gay in the room, who is straight in the room, and there's no, like, in between than that. There's just, like, who the fuck is gay? Um, do you feel the same way, Will, or? Um, not that you
1: mentioned it, yeah, um, <laughs> You know, I can think of times where, like, we played Circle of Death or something like that. You know, like, one of those little question games while you're drinking. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, some somebody have a slightly gay topic. Like, you know, have you ever sucked a dick or you ever, like, kissed a dude? And you be looking around at all the other dudes, <laughs> raise their hand. <laughs> you know, let me go ahead and put him in the gay box or whatever. You know what I mean? That's that old way of thinking. Um, right. But, yeah, man, now that you say it, it's absolutely true and uh oh sorry go ahead go ahead
2: and the thing is like what we do right is we even kill the possibilities of like cishet slash queer brotherhoods through this right so like perfect example tank right tank said you know if you suck a dick once or twice like it don't make you gay right? right And he got lambasted for this viewpoint. <clears throat> people were like, oh, man. So has Tank done it? And it's and see, then it becomes a situation where it's like <clears throat> just staying in some kind of way, a, a kind of like a queer adjacent or queer truth, right? Automatically people begin to try to discipline you into a sort of distance from, distancing yourself from <laughs> from those of us who are queer, right? So it's just like, yeah. So like when, you, so like when, when when we play those games and people are looking around, and around oh man, oh no, you did so and so, oh that's gay, and it's kind of like <clears throat> at some point I just want us to drop <laughs> white Western identities because they are so simple. Like, Listen. It's
1: so, so, see, black people don't know nothing else. That's all we know.
0: Colonize black people. Not, <laughs> not, we're not talking about, you know, the ancestors. We're talking about like certified certified all American blacks.
1: <laughs> I mean, we've been living with these labels for yeah, you know, since we came over here.
2: But you know what's interesting is this though, right? Like the term homosexual was didn't come into existence until like 1920, right? Uh-huh. Trans didn't come into any kind of popularity until like maybe the 80s, when it started getting academic validation. Uh-huh. And so these people have called themselves any of a number of things throughout time, right? Like, like if you go back and you listen to Lucille Bogan. And uh, she's singing uh, the BD Blues, right, for Bulldagger, right? It's like, like, she called, she calls herself, and women like her, Bulldackers, right? Like, and now we say that that is a slur, but, like, okay. in the 1920s, when she was singing, when she was doing her work, and when she was identifying herself, that's what she was calling herself, Um you know, people for the longest before trans popped off like that. Even in the eighties, if you go to like the ballroom scene, they were like uh, they call themselves drags, right? And so I think part of it is that we look at we we look at queer people and queerness as in so many ways as people to surveil, even when we have quote-unquote allies, right? Because even allies, what they do is they're like, I'm gonna advocate for you. Um. Instead of saying that, you know what, Queer, queerness is a realm of possibility or it has realms of possibility within it for how we understand ourselves or how we understand the world for how we understand how we organize ourselves into um various kinds of relationships and kinships so how about we take the time to learn from queer folk instead of being like I'm gonna stand in the gap for you I'm gonna save you I'm gonna am gonna advocate for you because like I mean that's 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 awesome don't get me wrong like you know that, that that's good but it still puts in it still puts us in the place of saying like the violence around you is not being mitigated because we're still very much invested in cis-heteronormative realities instead of saying like yo like queerness has its own table let's go see what's over there let's go sit at that table and see what's got what they got going on <laughs>
0: I think that's an excellent point. And so I would ask because we already understand I guess what we said so far, I feel like we understand that this whole binary way of thinking definitely limits even heterosexual black men from exploring our sexuality, um, for sure. But as far as black men who are actually queer, are you saying that like, safe spaces held by hetero people for queer black men are inherently kind of detrimental?
2: I think that they, I think that they do a couple of things, right? Like I think that they do allow for us to um, maybe breathe a little bit more easily, right? Like I like knowing that I'm in the company of brothers and sisters who are not going to try to verbally or physically assault me. That is good, not because I'm afraid of my ass beat. Because first of all, I ain't fighting, but so long after a while, I'm just start shooting. <laughs> but, <laughs> i see
0: it in action, yes. I
2: believe it. <laughs> like I carry. So but no, um, but I think what it also does, right, is we walk from one sort of enclosure into another. Um, because that space can also be very enclosed in that one, there's always this expectation of disclosure. Um We've got to say who we are and what we are and what we're doing. And um, a lot of times what that means is that we've also got to navigate a bunch of narratives that have been created for us before we can ever truly be ourselves, right? Which is part of the reason why I stopped dating women because it's like I sit down at the table and I'm trying to be honest, even though and not disclosing I'm not being dishonest because at the time when I'm sitting in front of you it's me and you whatever we have it's going to be whatever we are going to build right but at the time when I was dating I thought that was necessary or whatever because people were this is when the whole DL man thing would be right like I think his name is JL King had written that fuck-ass book Oprah was pumping it too and so it was just like it was like Gay men are trying to give us AIDS, right? So it was that whole thing. Oh, I right? remember that shit. <laughs> so I was I, I was trying to trying to get a, ahead of that, and people would ask me very humiliating questions, like very personal, very humiliating questions. Huh. And it was always about who I was sleeping with, how many people of the same sex I had slept with. People started going down the whole pathological like thing, like. Like, have you ever done it? Like, I, I literally got asked on a date. So, have you ever done anything with kids? And I'm like, yo, <laughs> huh? we, we do this. Like, like yo. you said that, like out your whole ass mouth, right? Yeah. Um, and I guess what gets me though is like, one, people who identify as heterosexual are tend to be. The people who identify who are also pegged as pedophiles the most right but you have none of these questions right when i am when you thought i was straight you have none of them like you don't care who i was sleeping with you don't care if I was being protected when i was sleeping around with people um and so on like, like you didn't care about any of that until i said i was by which means that you think that there's a lot of pathology that goes along with this yeah. and so when it comes to safe spaces too often in the way that they're constructed it is a space for us to be it's another space for us to be held in to be enclosed in without us being able to influence the world you know to have to have our knowledge to have our our creative ways of being and doing and so on and so forth influence the worlds in which we all exist Um, it's still a way for people to say like oh yeah you're like oh i knew I, I knew he was gay and so on and so forth and then there are the performances that come along with that there are the expectations that people have for us um, queer people are oftentimes utilized as sort of a bridge between. Sis men and women, you know. Yeah. It's like brothers, you know. Like sis had brothers will be like, "Hey man, 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 what, the, what, what the women be saying?" You know, I know you in with them like that, man. Man, <laughs> man, man, go tell her so and so and so. And then you have sis hat women who are just like, "You need to go get your brothers." I'm like, they're trying to put hands on you. You think they're not going to try to fight me? <laughs> Once again, they will end up shot, but still. <laughs> so it's. It's that kind of thing, like it's not, it's it's a space for really cishet people to validate themselves and their own moral goodness, rather than a space for us to share, and I'm not so sure that queer people are always looking for Well, let me not say that because i don't want to speak for all queer people and i don't you know but i will say this as a as a person who identifies as queer i can take care of myself you know what i'm saying like i'm not looking for a safe space what i'm looking for is to end the violence around me and those are two very different asks Like i want people to not identify in such a way that they feel like they that my existence threatens their identification mm. so I, I love that i think Excuse me,
0: um, touching on what you said about how queer folk often have their own table. It's not like a whole, like I want to go sit at the table and have my own table. It's so weird how we are just now saying that with black folk but we can't really envision that for queer folk as well. Especially black queer folk, it's, it's so strange how we can make that disconnect. But um, one thing I wanted to ask is, um, all right, Will, you tell me if you relate to this or if you, you agree with this. One thing that drew me to black feminism I feel like black women have had the space to self-actualize, which is to like, you know, basically reach your full potential, um, actually sit with your desires, sit with your unique needs and chase those things. I feel like they've had more room to do that in ways that men haven't because they aren't put in positions where they're expected to lead, be a provider, be hyper-masculine, be, you know, emotionless um just be greedy be tyrannical they're not putting that position under the spotlight where everyone's watching them to be a leader their whole lives and so they have that space to just sit with themselves and self-actualize which i don't think black men often have listening to you uh reading your post i wonder if queer folk have that same a similar space that you're able to self-actualize and i was wondering if will if you if you agree what i'm saying do you feel like you've had too much pressure as a man to fully self-actualize growing up and you're just now getting to it and how can we follow black queer folks lead on how to do that so i guess will can go first and then
1: yeah um i felt very i felt very restricted yeah um in the i guess different avenues or ways i could have grown up grown up um particularly sexually um and I'm going to just like kind of be honest, you know, when I was young, like I thought I was gay. Like when I, when I was very young, I thought I was gay. Why was that? Because <laughs> as, as uh, innocent as this was, like I was in school with this kid and I I was like, I love this kid. Like, you know what I mean? And like, it, like, it's funny now, but like as I go back and look at it, like I, I legit thought I was gay. And like, I was like, Oh, I can't explore this. Like I can't, I can't do nothing with this. This is gonna have to die right here. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, um, oh. you know, but it was just the uh, the things I grew up with, church, you know, single mother wanting me to be safe, wanting me to produce grandchildren. You know, that was a that was a road I thought was just automatically closed off. So, you know, in that aspect and exploring relationships, um, yeah, I felt. I felt like I couldn't reach my full potential because it just wasn't an option in my eyes. Um, You know, and I think that's true for a lot of little black boys.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's facts. I mean, like, and I think it's so sad, right? Like, I think that queer people oftentimes, and I will speak for myself. Luckily, I did not my parents were very invested in me being able to be a little boy, right? Like there wasn't really so much emphasis put on me being a man at, you know, early. Um, <clears throat> I didn't have to really play any kind of, like my parents took care of each other. So there was no expectation for me to um, be, any kind of emo- be any kind of an emotional resource for either of them, I didn't have to be a mediator for them in any kind of way. So I think in a lot of ways I had a very, um, think hell, I know I had a very privileged upbringing in that. And so because of that, um, there also wasn't a lot of emphasis on me being not only a man, and when I say a man, I mean like an adult, but also there wasn't really a lot of emphasis on me being a man properly. Right? Like, you've got to perform man in a specific way,
1: mm-hmm. and that
2: all of these kinds of realities are, like, off due. So, like, I remember um, I wasn't into sports, although I was incredibly athletic, right? But I didn't want to play. Like, I was running faster than most of our track stars, and they were like, you should be on track. I'm like, y'all want me to run in this heat, and ain't nothing chasing me? Mm-hmm. What the hell for? like that's what running was for me you know it's for fun and for getting the hell away from something like and track is neither one of those right so yeah. like and so um so I did dance though right and my parents were like my mom and dad showed up to all of me you know like me studying uh, dance and stuff like that you know like they showed up to that the way they would have showed up to a football game you know yeah. um my sister had an easy bake oven and because I was older and had to watch her <laughs> while she used it and stuff like that. We baked together. I started cooking early, uh, mostly for my sister. You know what I'm saying? Um, so my parents sleep in on Saturdays. Um, so there, like, there was never really this idea that you like, in order to be a man, you gotta roar and growl and spat your nuts and so on and so forth. Like it wasn't that kind of a thing. Um, But then when I got older and I realized that being, uh, I guess you can call me bisexual, pansexual, I don't know. I don't identify with any of that shit. I guess I started realizing that other people saw me as failing manhood,
0: Hmm.
2: uh, as failing masculinity.
1: Because of your sexuality or because of the things that you were doing in your life at the time?
2: what's funny is I think it's because of my sexuality, because for the most part, people will always act like, surprised and they'd be like, Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I'm sleeping with a dude right now. And they'd be like, Yeah. Because I perform in a specific way. Like a lot of people apparently can't tell. Now when I see me, I'm like, that nigga's gay. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> but you know, like I guess people I guess people couldn't tell or whatever. And so you know, I I you know, I don't know. Um and i wasn't really too much concerned so i think that because a lot of us are viewed as automatically failing manhood automatically failing um like i know that you know some trans sisters have spoken out about you know people being like y'all are failed men and i'm like <laughs> some of us have never been invested in, in in manhood and when we look at what it takes right? To be a man properly. And if the white man is the pinnacle of men because of all of the freedoms, all of the influence and power that he is able to garner, not only looking at what he has done with that, but also our inability to do that to me says that, is that something we should be invested in as a whole? Yes. we have other things to call ourselves you know we always have man woman even trans cis heterosexual homosexual bisexual pansexual omnisexual, whatever all this has been forced on us um the whole idea of gender construction in the way that it has been constructed that ain't our shit that's not ours and so when it comes to the self-actualization piece, I think in so in so many ways, I think queer people have frameworks and we have uh, models and modes that we can start kind of working through that. But to be quite honest with you, I think that the aspirations for normalcy are very deep within queer circles as well. Mm. Um, And so I think that we have to also make a distinction between the individuals who are queer by identity, and people who are queer as a practice, people who are queer ide- ideologically, mm-hmm. people who refuse cis heteronormativity, right? And so I think there are, I think there are plenty of straight people who fall into that. Mm. You know, people who practice being practice failing right like they they fail manhood or whatever else on purpose mm-hmm. they're like yeah i don't want to be that dude you know i don't want to be this kind of individual i don't want to have to be aggressive or i don't want to have to be um violent i don't want to have to posture and stand in certain ways you know like I want to be available i want to be vulnerable and i want to love on my girl but i also want to love on my homeboy because niggas deserve love too from each other right so yeah Ah, i love
0: failing as a means to define your own version of manhood or not define your own manhood at all and just like you said just create something else completely that's literally been the the center point of so many of my conversations on manhood and what people call manhood. And um, I love that you said, I think that's the perfect way we can take y'all's lead on like, just saying, fuck the system. Like, fuck what you think a man is. Like, I'm gonna find it for myself. Like, it's so weird how the thought of saying, I wanna find who I am for myself is like a radical idea. That's so wild to me. That's been wild to me since childhood. The fact that I could (laughs) say, Like, I know who I am. And someone would be like, excuse me? (laughs) Like, but I called you so-and-so. Like, but I'd be like, no, I'm not that. And then someone would get actively mad about that. That's so wild to me. And- um,
2: No, that's facts though.
0: Yeah. I was wondering if you could dig just a little bit more into like how we as hetero um, men can learn from queer men in terms of like that intimacy you talked about and, and building better partnerships as well as just within ourselves, like just Build a better sense of self-love. Um, can you take a little bit more about that, if you don't
2: mind? That because that's where it starts, right? Like I think that the ability to self-define, I think the ability to name your needs, like that's that's how we find that's how we find love. Like you're able to find a person who when once you name those things, they will give them to you, right? Um to be honest with you i remember talking to a brother once and i we were talking about we were we were talking about queer interventions on cis heteronormativity for black men i was saying you know i wish that black men could see themselves the way that like i see black men mm-hmm. um And yes, it is through, it is through the lens of attraction, but it's not through the lens of attraction, like I want to sleep with you. Because I think that sex is one, sex and sexuality is one of the interfaces through which almost everybody interacts with Black men. I think there's two major ones, death and sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that so often what happens is when we're talking about attraction, people immediately think that I either want to be sexually involved with the man or I want to be romantically involved with the man. That's not true. And this is why I say that white queerness is so limited because white queerness only understands itself through genitals and the interactions thereof, right? So when I'm talking about seeing the way that I see black men, it's kind of like, I can see a group of brothers laughing and joking with one another, moving around each other. And it's like, I can damn near hear the music in that shit. Mm. Like black people, but especially like when I'm looking at black men, like we move so gracefully, so musically, the ways that we are able to care for one another Um, the ways that we are able to show regard for one another um, in these ways that are so very loving but also sometimes so very light because I mean like shit being a black man (laughs) in this world (laughs) is a heavy ass thing like I remember going to my barber and he lined well I, I tried a new guy right and that's what i go to now and he lined me up and i was like "Yo, I haven't seen my chunk look this sharp in a minute i was like you about to have me out here at the new and without missing a beat he was like shit you got to because you ain't no regular nigga no more <laughs> right oh, i love it <laughs> so and, and it's and it's so funny it's like every time he lines me up he come up with something just like that to say to me right like like he's like boost like he's gassing me up he's boosting me right like it's almost it's I'm gonna say this, and it's not, and I don't mean it in 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 a homosexual or homo romantic way. It's almost flirtatious, mm. and I look at the way that we can do that. I look at the way that we joust with one another, you know, go back and forth. I look at the way that we improvise. Uh, I look at the way that we are extra, right? Like the Black extra is an amazing thing. Like, we're just like, what does it mean for us to literally be able to embody joy in such a way that it leaks out of us and disturbs the entire environment, right? So, but I don't always think that Black men, writ large, see themselves that way. Because Mm. if we did, we would be Absolutely, positively loving on one another, loving on ourselves. When you see somebody with their head down, like I, I think about that, the video with uh, the, the the two teenagers playing basketball and the guys walking and do. Why we should this it
1: up?
2: Right, like we would be doing it all the time. We'd be like, you know, like you, you down for some reason because stuff not going right at the job or whatever, and be like, that's when you tell somebody like, no, 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 because you're not no you're not no regular nigga no more,
1: yeah.
2: right? And so I feel like in so many ways, like, those kind of platonic, uh, that, that, that kind of love right there, I think that that will be so healing for us. I think that that's the kind of healing, honestly. Now, go get your therapist. Please go get a therapist. <laughs> but it's also the kind of healing that when you come out of the therapist's office and the motherfucking world is still here, that's what we need on the daily, right? Um, I also think that sexually, you know, now I remember Tom Ford coming out being like some like everybody should base like all men need to be pegged or whatever. And the way he kind of said that shit, I'm like, that's some white gay shit. Like, um, and, and I'm so tired of that narrative because it's not like black men have not been experiencing rape and stuff like that through uh colonialism, through through chattel slavery, so on and so forth and forth. You know this idea, like white men can have that if that's what if that's what white women and white men want for themselves and white queer folks, they got it. But like for us, what I want though is I want the freedom to be able to experience our bodies as um, as sites of pleasure that can be mutually pleasure that can be self pleasure um, as places that we're not constantly at war with, right? Like we walk around in this skin and people are constantly assaulting us because, because we have this skin and it turns our bodies against us. It perverts our relationship to our own corporeal realities, right? And so like if we were able to be be close to people affectionately, intimately, like when I was in Haiti, it was nothing to see two men walking down the street as friends holding each other's hands, right? Mm if we were able to engage in that kind of closeness, I look at how how touched our, some of us are. Um, if we were able to free our minds, free ourselves and say that like, I absolutely positively love, you know, having my prostate stimulated because like what I get out of that when I climax is like a soul shattering, earth changing, cosmos bending orgasm. Reach on it. You know, like I want black men to have that, you know, and not feel like they're going to be disciplined or, 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 or policed or corralled into a sort of shameful quarter for having experienced something that's absolutely fucking amazing. Yes, yo, yeah. yes. And so it's just like. We deserve brotherhoods that are healing. We deserve sex that is healing. We deserve relationships with our body that's healing, you know, and we deserve to be pleasured. And we shouldn't, you know, I'm looking at the amount of men who are like in their 20s and 30s who are walking around talking about having issues with erectile dysfunction or performance anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like, whose stage are you on, (laughs) fam? Like, I really want to be like, you know, like sex as a conquest, that's some colonialist shit. That's why we have fatherlands and motherlands. Fatherlands always go and they pillage motherlands. And so sex has become that like conquest and performance. And it's become a way to, to prove something. And it's just like, what if the only thing you had to prove is that your body can feel so damn good. To yes. itself. Say that person. <laughs> say that shit, man.
0: Pleasure as a birthright. I keep saying this shit over again. Pleasure as a birthright, hey! not a reward. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. People don't know like what I mean when I say that at first, but then when I explain it, they're like, Yeah, like what if you just reimagine your world as pleasure? As like you inherently entitled, as soon as you wake up in the morning, and as soon as you go to sleep, even while you're sleeping, you're entitled to pleasure at all times. That in any way,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, I'm telling you, I don't think most men have that, like, can't even imagine that, can't even visualize that being a, when I talk to a lot of men, especially men with families, like any form of pleasure that doesn't come from like being, like I said, that provider, that protector, that whatever, what, you know, insert male position here, like, it's right. just, you just can't even have the conversation a lot of times. Because it, it, actually, I think it hurts to have the conversation. Because it, it, it feels something that's so like intangible. It hurts to even talk about that as a possibility. Because you just don't see it happening. So, like, why am I even having this conversation?
2: And um, even if it is happening, right? A lot of us ain't going to admit it, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I, like, I, I think about all the time, like, the obsession, right, over, over penis size, right? Yes, I was. Just and it's, and it. it's funny. It's funny to me because, like. When when I've seen cishet men watch porn, I'm like, y'all are just as concerned about penis size as (laughs) women are like, oh, oh no, she fucking this dude. Oh, his thing is small. And I'm like, what does it matter to you? Right. (laughs) And 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 I and I can distinctly remember like, you know, as a kid, it was nothing for us to get um, you know, undressed in front of each other and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, you know. Um I can remember when we first started going pubic hair. We started counting them bad boys. How many? I got. I got three. I I, I got three. I, I I'm grown, right? Mm-hmm. And then middle school happens, and all of a sudden everybody starts covering you up, unless you're in sports, right? But then in sports it's all right because you can be said to be doing the masculine thing. So like when you play around in the shower, right? All right. It's oh, it's good masculine fun because I'm I'm a football player. Right? I'm a basketball player. I you know I do masculine shit. Um. But it keeps us from knowing a lot of times even what's normal, what's average, was na- was natural. <laughs> like It breaks the bonds because we, we're not able to talk about these things. And so we're not able to be, we're not able to connect in those ways. And I mean, and to be honest with you, I remember writing a post one time thinking about how, um, because of how manhood and womanhood were, Conceptualized under white supremacist capitalism, men and women aren't supposed to like each other. Like they're not supposed, they're not supposed to get along. It is a purely convenient sort of relationship. Hmm. And so now we look at ourselves trying to fit into womanhood, trying to fit into manhood, and trying to figure out why we're always at why, why we're always at odds. And I'm like, I understand why men feel better oftentimes around men, because they don't feel like they have to perform. They don't have to do certain things. And if we look at how sex is used among the more, I guess what we can kind of call the more intelligent social animals in the uh, in the world, like bonobos, dolphins, so on and so forth, not only is sex for reproduction, but it's also for like stress relief. It's for increasing bonds. And so you get situations where, like, for instance, female bonobos or male dolphins or whatever will uh, engage in like genital rubbing and stuff like that with one another in order to increase those bonds, in order to say, okay, look, the whole troop or gaggle or flock or herd or whatever the hell bonobos come in, um, they trip in the day, we need to stress relief, we need to bring all this energy down, so let's go over here and bump purses, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> Like, like, let's like, go do this thing. Okay. And so, like, I think that, that if brothers were able to, at least, and I'm not saying that brothers need to necessarily get together and, like, engage in, like, mutual masturbation or whatever. Like, I'm not interested in, in that as much as just saying, like, if brothers can get together and do what they need to bring themselves down, to be, to to heal, to be whole, whatever that looks like, they should be able to do that without being chastised and castigated and shamed for that. And we just need other ways of looking at relationships.
0: A thousand percent, especially regardless of who in that circle, it, how they identify as queer or straight or anything in between or anything outside of that. Just like you said, just the point of we need to feel better. Let's come together and to make it happen. Have a way we need to make it happen.
1: Right.
0: The whole sermon you just put on the podcast is not impressive for real. Like <laughs> this is why you're here. Um, I know we're running low on time. I definitely want to give you some time for you to you know, promote, it, promote anything you got going on. Uh, but will did you have any thoughts on the
1: yeah? Um the I, the- real quick. Um we've seen this in like TV and media or whatever, where you know a guy will come out and say, Hey, I've done such and such with the guy before, you know, da-da-da-da. Uh, particularly you know, one of those episodes of Insecure when Molly was dating the dude or whatever. Mm-hmm. Completely turned off after um, he found, she found out that he had been with a man before. So do you think that fear of being honest about our previous sexual encounters mostly comes out of our fear from being judged by women or just the community as a whole?
2: I think it would probably be as a whole just because like, I mean, I mean, when I was younger, and whole was life. Um, You know, I slept with, you know, my, you know, my share of, quote unquote, DL men. And I mean, they would say stuff like, you can't let nobody know Like if you see me in the streets, act like you don't know me. And I'm like, first of all, if I acted like I decided that I wanted to know you, I could only ever take up your stock, boo-boo. So don't don't play me don't do this right um so i do think it comes from like oh yeah because my homeboys don't know i'm you know so on and so forth right um because they might reject me um but i do think it also comes from this idea that women won't want you either and i think it comes from a lot of then, and, and then that, that particular dynamic is fraught with a lot of other things. Cause like, then it becomes this whole situation where it's like, oh, you're DL, you're the reason why Black women are experiencing so-and-so so with AIDS and HIV, right? So, so it's like, it's not, it's not just the, okay, you're gay and you're not the kind of man that I need or want. Um, you, you have failed manhood in my eyes, but it's also like there are other things that are pathological about you. Like I can't have kids with you because you might want to touch them. Or, you know, like I can't. Um, so, but I, I think overall it comes from the fear of having a lot of different kinds of relationships broken should I be my most authentic self. Because, you know, a lot of men tend to feel like gay or, or queer men are indiscriminate. Like we don't have tastes, right? Like, it's like, oh, you're gay? Oh, damn, man, don't hit on me. And I'm like- this is the weirdest shit ever.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm not gonna lie, I used to think like
2: that. <laughs> we, all have. we all have. It's the weirdest No, I would never, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it's, um, and I mean, and, and I will say this, like when I was at Morehouse, I got the chance to have brotherhoods with uh, with, of course, other gay men, but also like some straight brothers who like to this day are my brothers for life. And it was nothing for me to go and just be able to like when we were stressed about one of our classes or whatever, to be, for me to be able to lay across on their stomachs and just chill, you know, mm-hmm. or to uh, we're, we're on tour and the bus ride is long and I lean over and I'm sleeping on my brother's shoulder, you know, like it was nothing for that to happen. And it never threatened them, you know? And so, you know, I will also say that there are places and there are ways that brothers are forming forming, um, transgressive sorts of brotherhoods and masculinities and manhoods. And so I always, always, always want to give kudos to the men and to the people, to the Black people who are actively resisting, who are actively refusing who are doing that because it, it is happening. And I don't want to make it seem like it's not. I, ne- I, I never want to, see, like, I'm not that dude, like, the Black community is so homophobic, Like right? That ain't me. <laughs> I'm not that dude.
0: Yeah, no, and I love that you have those relationships because I feel like that's the usual, that's the usual discourse is, is either the LGBT folks are trying to kill us, kill the Black community, or it's that superficial, how can we bridge the gap between Gay people and black people, and it's like a like you retrain the same conversations over and over again. It often ends up people some somebody ends up being super homophobic, and then you have like your standard tokenized queer person is like, well, let me tell you what that's wrong, and then they're like, oh, thank you, queer queer um Captain fucking America for teaching me the right way, (laughs) right? And then everybody like hugs and then goes back to doing the same shit they've been doing. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm just I just love hearing that. Um, that's a great question, Will, because um, I agree with Preston, but I will say I do want to have an episode about homophobia in women, which is something I've experienced a lot, like definitely have had my sexuality questioned, I can't say how many times off of either, like will, <laughs> will knows the funny, I won't tell this on the podcast, but <laughs> the funniest story ever of this fabricated secret love affair between me and Will because it's my best friend. and. <laughs> I broke up with somebody and she could have sworn that I broke up with her because I was secretly seeing Will. Shit is just outrageous. Like, cause people, like you said, can't picture just black male partnership as like a something that's intimate and platonic. Like that's just like a lot of people just can't envision that. And this is
2: it's just wild. So oh, because black men are like literally walking penises. Like <laughs> basically. Like if we're not, if if we're not slated to die soon. Yeah. It's like a- we're out, for, it's like like we out to the fuck. That, that's, that's it. And so, and, and the thing is, I don't I don't think that any of us have escaped it. I don't think that hmm. any of us, white people, Latino people, Asian people, black people included. I don't think any of us have escaped this idea that black people, but especially black men, um are these sort of like deviant sexual always sexually open always looking for sex always wanting to like we are just we're, we're literally walking penises and um I'm at the point now though where like I'm not necessarily considered I'm not concerned about perception like I don't give a fuck so like for me it's kind of like how are we, however, going to determine and tell people how we're going to show, show up in the world? Exactly. And that's that's what I want us to get to. I don't want to, people like, let Black men heal. Let. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm a grown-ass man. I'm going to heal on my own accord. Like, I'm a, I'm a self and I think we got to get beyond the idea that we have to be given permission or clearance to analyze how we've been observing our lives how we've been exhibit how we've been um experiencing our lives and how we talk about our lives and how we decide we want to determine who or what we are if anything
0: if anything i love it y'all i absolutely love it yeah i'm sorry we kept, we went over time i don't want to hold you up but like
2: no you're good
0: <laughs> we talk my, like for real um was there anything in particular that you wanted to shout out that you got coming up or just in general?
2: Not really. I am gearing up for um, a proper launch for Voodoo Monkey Foot. So uh, I am in the process of recording videos and setting up conversations and stuff like that. So VoodooMonkeyFoot.com is V-U-D-O-O-M-U-N-K-Y-F-U-T.com. Um, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. That's where we operate the most. So um, I do have an email list if people want to go to the website and sign up um, so that people can know what we're uh, what we are trying to do. Have a Patreon as well. Patreon.com backslash booty Monkeyfoot, um, because we are trying to actively build community, garner space, both virtual and actual so that black people can get together and just work our imaginations like to the nth degree. Uh, is it only for black people, or like you know, are white people welcome as well? So, for me, um, the way that I'm looking at it, I do, uh, I, I am most concerned about black and blackened people. <laughs> um, so, like, and, and and I started thinking about this because I study, I'm um, right now, I'm studying a lot of uh, Caribbean theory, and when you start looking at like Latin America and stuff like that, I start thinking, like, yeah, these people are not black, but it was whole lot that some of the ancestors was working hard as hell to get them here,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know? And like, there is a kind of retroactive anti-Blackness that we kind of enforce when we start saying that, you know, these people are not children, at least children of the diaspora. They're not Black, I'm not gonna say that, but they're children of the diaspora. And so um, it's mostly for that. The conversations are open to everybody. Conversations are open for everybody. The space, not so much.
0: Yeah, I dig it. Yo, I <laughs> think I feel you. Please check out Voodoo Monkey for it. Like Preston is doing some amazing stuff over there. Um, you definitely have one of the most thought-provoking platforms out here, period. Um, because I get depressed how much like I just see entertainment is fine. Don't get me wrong, entertainment is cool, but just how much just mindless conversations are had online where <laughs> you know the thoughts post, you know how that shit goes. The the thoughts post or the fake debate post, you know what i mean Oh,
2: will lock a thoughts head ass
0: <laughs> for real and it's like so seldom that you just get somebody to just make you like i said just sit down for a second like i don't readily have an answer for this let me think about that and get back to you and just go back and forth on that so i love what you're doing um we got mad love for you period anyway we can help or support you already know it ain't nothing but a phone call away um but thank you so much for coming through yo thank you i know and i did. really thank
2: you. thanks for having me because i love 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 y'all's platform like I that. y'all out here doing the work fam and i love it
0: so, same to you same to you thank so you so much <laughs> thank you so much we'll get up we'll get up a thousand percent a thousand percent um so if you want to stick around this is the part where we um just shout out black women just doing a damn thing out here being fine being fly um being awesome um, oh i'm here for that all right word you bet uh, this week, I think we we're gonna put her up. Yes, her fine self. Um, <laughs> Oh, they went full screen on my screen. Uh, the yams just took off my whole screen. Just now I'm sorry, y'all.
2: Right. Oh, hey.
0: um, <laughs> the beautiful Shay is love, aka Shay Daily, um, good friend of mine. As uh, a sex educator and intimacy coach out of California, who shares expertise on how to build better self love practices, healthy relationships, and tapping into that inner goddess light. If you're not a goddess, uh, she still does very good um, coaching sessions for all individuals as far as building a plan of action for becoming a better lover slash partner with your unique le- needs and goals in mind. Um, my favorite thing about Shay is she hosts this thing called The Pleasure Hour every Thursday night at 10 p.m. Eastern on Clubhouse where we just be talking about sexy shit. We playing games. Um, we be getting freaky. Like, it's just a, a freaky ass playground. Uh, like I said, every Thursday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, you can look her up on Clubhouse at Shay's Love. You can look up her on Instagram at Shay's Love as well. Um, please go to her website, shaydaily.com. Um, Book a session. Get your love life together. Learn how to be a better partner. Like Preston said earlier, um, learn how to be multi-orgasmic. That's the best advice I can give y'all. Just just learn to get all the pleasure you can handle. And um, yeah, as you can see, just, just beautiful. And she just has such a wonderful soul about her. She has one of the sexiest voice voices I've ever heard on the podcast. Like I meant to tell her this. I'm supposed to be on her podcast soon, so look out for that. But um, she yeah. has like a sexy ass podcast voice. Like she is perfect to be doing these things. We'll already liking the pictures. I'd love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man. Please check her out. She is love. Yeah, she's beautiful. She is gorgeous. Well, I saw you tugging your you calling, shit. You was getting hot. You was getting kind of. Well, I- <laughs> <laughs> i Jones jonesing,
2: baby. I'm jonesing. <laughs> I started looking. I was like, hold on. Am I glistening? Am I glistening? Glisten? <laughs> all right. Yeah, the man. forehead got <laughs> shining.
0: Yeah, <what's> <laughs> well, yeah, man. Again, thank you so much, Preston.
2: Thanks Wait for having
0: all. me. For sure. Thank y'all so much for listening to us again. For all the love y'all give us. Shout out to the patrons. We love y'all. Thank y'all for supporting us. Um, Again, we broke, so please become a patron if you're not already. Only $5. <laughs> Um, yeah, man. We'll see y'all next time. Yeah. Peace. I'll holler y'all soon. Peace.